growing up as a kid in Jamaica, like sales was almost was a part of your life without knowing it. It's a part of your life, right? Because it's just the way the you know, it's, it's set up. Like one of the biggest export of, out of Jamaica is just people. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Joining Brad on this episode of Decision Point is Donald Kelly. Donald is the founder and chief sales evangelist at The Sales Evangelist. You can also hear Donald as the host of The Sales Evangelist podcast. Donald oversees business development strategies for small to mid-sized organizations. He's also conducted workshops, keynote presentations, design sell processes. He also offers team training and coaching for sales individuals and executives. To learn more about Donald, head on over to thesalesevangelist.com. That's thesalesevangelist.com. I know that you've been doing, uh, did you, I think 2013 or 2015, you 13, started, yeah. okay, you started doing the podcast. So I'm super fascinated just kind of in your sales journey, your podcast, you know, what made you decide to do a podcast? I know at this point you've developed a pretty strong following. So I'd love to just have you just share with our community kind of how you got into sales and how you got into podcasting and we'll go from there. Love it. With that, like I, uh, I started uh, growing up as a kid in Jamaica. Like sales was almost was a part of your life without knowing it. It's a part of your life, right? Because it's just the way the you know, it's, it's set up. Like one of the biggest export of, out of Jamaica is people. Like they have a fantastic education system. So people go to like England and to like uh, you know U.S. and Canada. So when you're there and you have awesome education and you, you know, it's hard to find a, you know, get a good job. People just do whatever. So my aunt, she came to the U S she would buy products and come down and sell it in Jamaica. And that was like something I saw my dad is an entrepreneur and was pretty successful during his time in Jamaica with doing it and had several businesses. So I saw him do that. I saw cousins and friends, like everybody around me were selling. We just call it business, you know, a, a businessman, you know what I mean? So that was a part of the life. So come to U.S. as a nine-year-old. Yeah, when I come, came as nine, came as six to go to Disney. And then we went back <laughs> okay. when I was nine. So I came when I was nine and I, I figured out if I want to make money, I'm just going to sell stuff. I just saw I mean, create a business, but I didn't know it was sales per se. Later on in college, you know, my friends told me that I should try the sales thing. I did it and worked out well. In college, I did the door-to-door security sales. I did other type of selling. Dish Network sold IT training classes, made good money, the business-to-consumer sale. Fast forward now, I jump into the, after college, going to the B2B side. I got kicked in the face like a roundhouse kick, right? Because B2B was so much different in the execution. Because when I go door on a door-to-door sale, I'm trying to close the deal in like an hour. When I'm going to a B2B sale, this is like going for, and this sales process was like 18 months. And I'm like, what? 18 months, like two years. It's a long process selling to the government, but the money was good. So I didn't understand that and I had to learn it. I got some training and Brad, I'm not killing killing you like with this, like, dude, it was like a hockey stick in my performance. Like it just kind of just took off. Like it was amazing how that happened. And I realized that there were more people like me that were out there that didn't know what to do and needed the guidance and needed the help. So I was like, man, if there's a way I can share some stuff. And one of my friends, good friend, Jared Easley, is a co-founder of a company called The Podcast Movement and also the biggest podcasting conference in the world. And he was like getting into this game and he's like, Donald, 
podcasting is where is that so we were chatting and he, he said you should ch- check it out so i searched for some podcasts and there was like four podcasts i'm like there's no other way there's no way i can have a podcast on sales there's already four people doing stuff uh, this back in 2013. <laughs> and i'm like I, I don't know how to do this like the technical side i, I want to do a video video i know i've done that before i can just record a video but I sucked it up and then I learned it. And because I was enthralled in it, I was listening to it. I started going to some of the events that they were having, the new media stuff, and see this was an opportunity. So I was like, let's use this medium to share the wisdom. It was either going to be video or it was going to be a podcast. I went the podcasting route. And in, uh, right when we got out the gate, I remember I posted the first episode. And then one of my uh, friends in from my congregation at church, dude saw it and he was like, hey, my wife and I, we have this AC company. We need some help on sales and marketing. Any ideas? And at this point, I'm like, sure. They're like, we'll pay you. I'm like, what? <laughs> so Because I saw it as a hobby. So that came as an opportunity to start sharing what was working for me and get money for it. And uh, little by little, then we got mentioned in, in a magazine. And then we got mentioned somewhere else. And people started to, to invite me to come speak at events. And by 2015, it made sense to jump ship. And I started doing the sales consulting and training firm full time after a couple of years of the podcast. And we got sponsorship later on with it. But the point is, it was something that I liked. I love the topic of sales. I would evangelize about it, thus the name, the sales evangelist. And two, it was the right place, right time where one of my constituents, a really good friend, came to a conference, learned about this idea and shared it with me. And it became that medium to share it. So, I mean go back eight years, maybe I could have been a YouTube star right now if I'd gone the YouTube route, but I chose to go to the podcasting route at the time. Now, do you look back on that? Do you wish you had gone the YouTube, the the video route, or do you feel like this was probably the right right move? It was the right move because if I'd gone video, I probably would have taken a lot longer to really launch. Video, the challenge is when you, when you look at it with audio, I didn't understand how to do it. Once I learned how to do the backend, it was way simpler than the video because the video you got to have good video quality per se you got to have decent editing and you got to have a good camera and all of those were barrier of entries that i prop that i was putting up against myself that was taking me a while to get it but with this it was a little bit easier to get going with it and it, it was it was the right part the other part too podcasting was a novelty so i was able to it was almost like blue ocean type thing at that time or i guess red ocean versus blue ocean it was the opportunity to have a bigger impact, I was a big fish in a small pond rather than going YouTube. I would have been a, a smaller fish growing you know, in, a, in a bigger pond trying to catch up with so many other YouTube channels. So it was like advantageous to take advantage of it. Now we're getting into the YouTube game, but more so. But it's it's we're taking the audience that we have from other platforms and utilizing them. It's drawing put them into YouTube. Now, yeah. what were you doing when you start the podcast and then you launched the uh, sales consulting? What are you selling? I was selling document management software, super okay. exciting stuff. <laughs> We're selling uh, help in city, county governments, and K-12 go paperless, essentially. And that was a solution. We Some of our clients were using like AS400. We're getting, we had a solution on that. And then we had stuff trying to get the other ones, get them to get out of the dark ages to come into like do some Windows solution at the time. And we so that was the flagship software was a, a document management. And then you have stuff like... Dropbox and you know Google Drive that kind of yeah. eventually helped to put us past our capabilities. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so crazy just to think like you're taking me back in time, you know, of yeah. like when everybody's trying to make. I mean, it's you know, it's don't it, you know, it was only a decade ago people were just talking about like you know Larry Ellison's talking about whether the cloud's going to be a thing or not. You know, right? 2000 when I when I 
launched Monster Connect, I remember the cloud is a brand new thing. Like, you you know, prior to having SaaS, it was called a application service provider. So you'd have like a thin client on (laughs) your desktop, you know, (laughs) you know, it was only like a decade seems, you know, if you're, if you're 21, a decade seems a long time ago, but if you're, you know, if you're late thirties, forties, you know, (laughs) seems, it really seems like, it seems like yesterday. So talk a little bit about, I'm super curious for you to kind of talk about the future of um, podcasting and the future of sales. It sounds like you've got your hands in a lot of different types of sales, Yeah, you know, B2C, B2B, you're well-rounded. Can you talk a little bit about like what you think is happening in the, in the market as it pertains to, I think the core of selling is going to stay the same, right? And so the way that I sort of think about it is like the picture is going to stay the same, relationships, interacting with people, how you sell psychology, human nature is all going to always stay the same, but the frame of the picture is changing. Yes. And can you talk a little bit about that? Like, where do you think the frame, like what kind of frame is this all getting put in as we move into the future? Yeah. You go back like a hundred years from now or 200 years, it was the same notion like human to human relationship was always the same. But it's a means of how we go about getting there. Like, you know, for, for me to, to get from England to here, taking a ship in three months was like annoying or six months. Now I can do that in four hours, really from JFK um, to you know, five hours, let's just four or five hours, I can get to England. So it's like there, but the point is like the medium change of how about we're doing it, but the goal of when I get there is still to connect with individuals. So I think the same uh, line where you're on, because I, I posed that question to Jeb Blunt and also Anthony Ian Reno, and they're saying like, yeah, it's, we're still going to be selling the same. We're still going to be selling. It's just a matter of the way that we do it. Like say, for instance, a realtor, for instance, they still need to do the same exact things to sell, but now they don't have to be in person. They can do that over, get somebody to sign, you know, a, a thousand pages over DocuSign right. versus printing on it. So I, I think what's happening is we though on the consu- on the B2B side are going to have a, we're, we need to catch up to Amazon. What I mean by that, Amazon has, strained our customers to buy in a certain way and to expect certain things. And it's not necessarily like we're not going to, I'm not saying when I buy in a certain way, I'm not going to go online and just say, I want to just get the best software. I'm going to do a drop down and get those certain things are going to still require me to be able to have and to discuss and to have this human to human relationship when it comes towards making like, you know, a bigger um, purchase. However, it will be important that the B2B side think like Amazon. I would love for, and we're getting there, but we're not quite there. If I'm a sales rep and I reach out to, say I reach out to you and I, I'm pitching you on something like say this awesome tool called us iPhone. <laughs> I'm selling you on my iPhone, right? Or about this technology. You went to my website, you downloaded something about the iPhone already. Marketing knows that. And, you know, they're sending you things about iPhone, but here I am coming into the conversation, not knowing that information. And I'm talking to you about, you know, buying like, you know, a certain type of case or a certain type of plan when in actuality, you already gave us information because of the things that you've downloaded. And I think the point I'm trying to get is like with AI, it's very easy on Amazon where I could look at something and then Amazon start feeding me things. With the sales and marketing communication, it's really challenging. And there, we try, you know, companies are out there with, with technology trying to get break the gap, amend that gap where marketing is getting information from consumers or from the buyers, the B2B buyers. That information needs to get to sales quicker so sales can be on the same 
footprint with marketing and make those decisions. And I think there are technologies that have um, sales enablement, sales enablement platforms that are allowing us to be able to do this a little bit more, but some of them for the most part are still isolated and that's causing a discrepancy because not a buyers I'm coming with Amazon mentality when I'm coming to purchase something in the B2B world. And I'm like, man, this company is so discombobulated. <laughs> They're not even the marketing and sales people are not communicating well. I don't know if I'm making sense here, but no, I think so, so you're totally making sense. So, so here's so for whatever reason, this has been kind of a hot topic. I've been talking Come on, let's to a go. lot of, let's lot of go. people about the about this topic. Um, I had a pretty uh, extensive conversation with Jen Allen from the Challenger Sale a couple of weeks ago. Nice. Um, and she brought up a. So I'm gonna. I got a point here. So she brought up that there's more people involved at the buyer's table than ever. So yes. it's not going down; it's going up. And then you've got a lot of people out there talking about the how let's call it Amazon, the Amazon effect or the Netflix Flix effect should be. You know, we should buy more like we should buy enterprise products like we buy Netflix and like we buy Amazon. And and I've had a challenge there, but you brought up a really good point. Is I don't think it's the actual purchasing as much as it is the same challenge that you had in a call center twenty years ago when you made a phone call into a helpline and the, and they didn't have that disparate information. Right. I think that I think that's what is going to change because the the if the number of people because I've always looked at this as like look you're not going to go to the internet and buy a you know a million dollar product that takes twelve months you are not buying that without a committee. So therefore, it's complicated. But I think what you highlighted and really opened my eyes is that there are parts of the B2C process that need to make it into B2B. And that is, you know, disparate information. So when I call and get a, when I get a sales rep on the phone, um, just like if I get a call, if I get my call center rep on the phone for my insurance, I expect them to know everything about me, right? Where I live, yeah. who I am, you know, what my previous phone calls were. Um, that same mentality, I do agree with you, needs to be adopted and needs to be impacted in the in the B two B process for sure. A hundred percent. Like, and I feel the other part to that too is something that I've been a kick, on a kick on, and and we're we're playing with some stuff internally here, but that's another story for another day. Think about how much information. Like, I look at Iron Man. This is my first time trying to use this analogy. It just came to me. But let's think about Iron Man and how Jarvis worked with Iron Man. Like it knows everything about that, you know, about the performance. Like, you know, it's like the altitude, how fast he's going, how he's going. It's not like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And I think some as sales rep, the other part that we're going to see is the disparity we're seeing with solutions. So I'm on Zoom or talking to a prospect, but I have my emails going. They integrate, but they do not communicate. If I'm making sense there, yep. like, does does like does my email does my does my CRM speak directly to Zoom as well as does my email and does it speak directly to Sales Loft? Does it speak directly to Google Drive? Does it does it know like inte like intellectually like with so much AI and technology that's out there? Can there be a way to break down those data silos? that provide me with more information so I can perform at an optimal level. And that's one area that I feel we're lacking in the world because we have gone for the past, go back, say, for the five, eight years, five, eight years right now, where we've been seeing so many tech stack. Everybody talking about this tech stack. Bro, my tech stack is so high. It's like this big old stack. But <laughs> like, I can't even bite into this stack of, this, of stuff. So, yes, they all do communicate 
they do integrate, but I don't feel that we all communicate, communicate yeah. well enough to spit back data out to me as a sales rep and say, bro, when you send an email, you got to have this in that email because based on the conversation, I mean, Gong is doing a little bit of that, but it's like based on the number of a Zoom call you have, based on the number of where your deals are sitting in your pipeline, based on the, the you know, how quick your, your deals convert, this is what you need to be talking about right now. And that's yeah. in there. Well, I think the one, so what's fascinating to me, I had the, I was fortunate, I consider this a fortune, uh, fortunate situation. So I grew up yeah. in a family that had a call center and we did outbound lead generation for mortgage companies. And what go. I think is really interesting is to watch the technology of the B2C call center come to the B2B sales organization. Now it's taken 20 some years, but like gone <laughs> is not new. That is like, like the, the, the idea that gone brought to market is, yeah. is not a new technology. It, you know, it's a call center, it's a standard call center technology piece that they clipped off created its own market piece and took it to market in the B2B space. Like you're um, talking too much. Here you go. Here are the key words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. Cause that's like traditional. That's it. That's traditional yeah. call center, like B2C call center technology. Hey, you're talking too much. Yeah. So I find that super fascinating. I mean, that sales, you know, just the, all the different automation products that have entered the market. I mean, those things are staples to the, to yeah. the call center, to the B2C space for, yeah, and- for decades. And I think that's just like what it is. Like if you, I think the most, the most common sales scenario is that is the, and I think that's why it's so far ahead of B2B. B2B, I think probably has a lot of money, but per ticket item. But if you look at the B2C world though, we all buy stuff. And I think it's like, it's like light years ahead of the B2B world when it comes towards the performance or the technology. So yeah, I mean, it's like going to Japan and then taking something from Japan and bringing it to the US and like, whoa, this is cool. Yeah, they're like yeah. two years ahead of us. Yeah, they're ahead of us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, 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 with B2B, B2B, yeah. No, 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 sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep, keep no, going. All good. No, so that's the same idea I'm seeing here with the B, the C, like we just need to catch up with the, with the times and with the capabilities. And if you look at this, like GDPR came in a B2B world but that came like how long ago did that happen in the B2C world? Like when you're making, you can't just, it was hard to just yeah. like call people. Yeah. No, Nobody's going to call you at five o'clock in the afternoon. No, anymore. no, no. It got regulated. It got regulated. Yeah. Same thing that happened with yeah. GDPR and people were freaking out. Oh, the world's coming to an It's like, no, we found different ways to go about it. We got, got creative with like Google ads and so forth and getting people when they're, you know, getting them to call into us. <laughs> right. right. And, you know, getting them to opt in and then we can call them and, and so forth. So they're, they're different ways. But I think that's if we really want to thrive in the B2B world. Just go back two years and look at the B2C and see what they're doing. And we can evolve that. And I think that's what's happened, especially thanks to like COVID. Uh, I want to say thanks in a sad way because of that, but it, in a morbid way. As a reaction. Yeah. It did make it that we tr- we went light years ahead with things that we, like sales leaders probably wouldn't do. Like say, for instance, working from home. I remember when I was battling back in the days with one of my uh, leaders for us to work from home. And they're thinking, oh, if you work from home, you're going to be home chilling, not doing anything. It's like, no. I want to make money. It just doesn't make sense for me to drive 45 minutes to go all the way down to the office when I can get the same stuff done, the same exact thing done and quicker at home. So it's like, and and companies are transforming like that. And I think there's a, it it just, it allowed us to see ways and to create ways to make things be more effective. So. Yeah, for sure. 
No, no, I think those are those are great insights. So, you know, since you have such a great podcast experience, I want to sort of I want to sort of focus on that if you don't mind. What do you think the biggest what are the biggest takeaways or biggest learnings you feel like you've gotten from podcasting? Well, let me ask you this before I ask you that. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, change gears. Do you think we're going to see more sales reps? Like to me everybody should have a podcast. Like I think if you're a salesperson, or you're a new, you're a new SDR. You should have a podcast. Like I think yeah. it's the simple, easiest way to get started having conversations with people, to learn a market, to yeah. interact with people, to learn how to talk, to learn how to ask questions, to learn how to listen and not talk. You know, to be a good listener, which I think is a super important skill as a salesperson. Yeah, I said I was going to ask you questions, but I just made a bunch. Then I just made a bunch of statements. Do you think we're going to see this the that that like ushering of salespeople having podcasts? Do you think that's the new that's the new trend? You know, I had this conversation with like Jack, one of my buddies, Jack and Kozlowski. Yeah, Jack Kozlowski and and uh, a couple of the folks like maybe back in 2014, 15 ish, fourteen when we started doing the podcast, because my podcast, I used it as a prospecting tool. I would get some of these folks that I wanted to have conversations with on a podcast, and it was a great avenue. I feel that it's it could be like that. I don't think it's going to become the norm. And the reason, here's the reason why. There are, if you look at LinkedIn has has seven, we're going to see more and more. Yes, sorry. it's good. We're going to see more and more, and we're going to see this, you know, people do it. But LinkedIn has the has 750 million users of the 750 million users, about 350 or say are active, you know, actively use their profile of those 350 million people. Guess how many of them actually post on LinkedIn every month? No idea. It's, they just got to 2%. (laughs) They just got to 2% after all this time, 2% of their users posting. And why is that the case? Because it's a professional platform that is saying people don't want to look like a non-professional. They don't want to say something that's stupid. Look at a platform like Facebook or TikTok or Instagram, where a larger percentage of their people post. So go back to this podcasting thing. I feel that you're going to find a fraction of the reps because you have so much of a visibility when you do a podcast. Your people can you know scrutinize what you're saying. People can scrutinize the way you look if you do a video podcast, and people can scrutinize you know the type of how your content is. So I feel because of that, go back to the professional network. They're going to be a per- percentage of the population who are not going to want to do that. Just like that two percent, only two percent of people posting on LinkedIn. So I find that's that we're going to see with we'll see that with pod, we're seeing that with podcast. And then two, you have the people who think it's like a big challenge when it's not that difficult to launch a podcast. And then three, you have the people who just are stuck in the hamster wheel of the day-to-day stuff like I'm going to make phone calls, emails, and that's it. They don't know to think like I need to be my own lead generation source. But I feel that there are people who caught that and grasp it and they'll do it. But I don't feel that it's going to be like, you know, if I if I look at a sales team of 10 people, maybe one of them will do it. If I look at, a you know, out of 200 salespeople, like maybe a couple, but I, I don't see tons really taking advantage of it like that. Yeah, interesting. I just yeah, I just super curious because I definitely you know I know for me I started podcasting because I had a, a marketing manager that we brought in that had a podcast background, and yeah. I was super surprised. So a couple things, I think in my mind I thought, hey, we will launch this. We're going to launch this podcast, and then leads are just going to like fall from the skies. That that was not the case. But what it did do 
is it really improved the, it was, a, I think I was really focused on the audience and what it yeah. really had become is a great way to build relationships. I have built some just phenomenal, phenomenal relationships over, over podcasting. And I think the other thing is if you're a small team uh, and you don't have a, you don't have a huge uh, marketing budget, it's just a great way to have consistent content flow. So 100%. you can show up every week, you can do your interview you can, you know, get a Canva license, you can get a screenshot or you get a picture of your guest and you can put it up with a quote and you can consistently get something out every week. And if you're a small business, you're going to have a, you're going to have a pulse, right? Yes. And uh, you don't have to sit down. You don't have to make a content calendar. You don't have to put a schedule together. You just get on, you interview and you, and you just, you know, religiously post it out. Yeah. I think you, that, that side of it is, it, it makes it so the barrier of entry to it is way easier, especially when you look at tools like anchor as well, where you can be on your phone and record your episode and they host it. So there's some simple stuff there. I feel though, like as you're going to the next level and with the more competitors, you need to have more of a higher quality content to stand out per se. And in that same vein, because now the NPRs of the world, the big radio stations, the iHeartRadio, they all got into the game of podcasting. So then now when I'm looking back in the days, like I think right now there's like 200 plus sales podcasts. When I was starting off, there was like four, not 400. You remember who the four were? There's Jeb Blunt, Sales Gravy. There were me. There was, a, I think there was a lady named Alice something. She's still, still around. Oh, Hyman um, maybe? I think it was her. Maybe there was just a, it's an older, it was an old artwork. And I think she even stopped doing hers, but it was just kept people right. downloaded. Just so kept downloading. Kept going. Like, so there's like, I can't remember the other one now. And I think maybe it was like some, one of the other companies that were out there, like, you know, the Dale Carnegie's or something like that. So there's like major, like, or Zig, it was like four podcasts. So any, anyways, it, there weren't a lot and they weren't consistent, but now go look at it. Like I am not fighting for when people, when I'm downloading my, 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 look at my podcast app, I have things on business. I have things on like, you know, pop culture. There's, you know, like the mystery. There's, there's so many other things and so many other audio programs that are there that are fighting for the same time slot that I have with my person who's driving from the office to work or driving to the grocery store or cleaning the kitchen. So in that same vein, like, am I creating enough quality of a content? And what I would say, what we'll continue to see and what we try to do we look at that and we try to evolve. I'm trying to get to where the puck is. So even with our content, how can I make the content more entertaining and then educate? So we done we tested out with some storytelling episodes. Those were really good because that was like, you know, tapping into some of the NPR stuff. It just made the quality seem a little bit higher. The instead of just like the same type of like interviews, what else can I ask that's going to be different than if I know like, you know, say Seth Godin's going to be going on a speaking circuit and he's coming on my show, he's going to talk about the same concept maybe on all of those podcasts. How can I make sure I bring something unique to the table? And that's kind of like where, you know, you might ask some question that Seth may not get on a day-to-day -day basis. So you're you're providing your audience with something unique that's allowing them to say, dang, you know, when I go on, you know, go on Brad's show, like, dude, he's going to be having like some good stuff because it's the questions he asks are just so fascinating. So anyways, so I think that's where it's going to start to see the, we'll start seeing separations of the shows, the content quality, and it will help to maintain. But the other part to this too, is like, it doesn't have to be too crazy. It doesn't have to be too scripted. Like we're talking about. People in industries, like if I could focus on the, the power of the niche, 
that's where the money might be. So if I sell like, I don't know, like waterproofing, I'm just, I said waterproofing because it's a client that we're working with right now, <laughs> but this company, we're doing some sales stuff with them, but they are in a process. But waterproofing, if that's the case, like that industry, I don't need to know everything. I just, there's probably, maybe that industry is like, you know, there's, you know, 2 million people that would care about that stuff. So those are my, that's who I need to get, that 2 million people, or even if it's like 500,000 people that would get that. Imagine if you had half of that or a 10, 5% of that, you have say a 10,000 people in that industry that's listening to your stuff every single week. That's money because those become leads. It brings you to attention and how I make money off my podcast. And I'll just be straight up with it. It was a, it was a, you know, we offer sales content and education for free. People reach back out. I told you, and they started asking, well, this guy clearly knows what he's talking about. Let me see if he can coach me. Then they ask, you know, can they, can you train our teams? So those things come in trickling. We get sponsorship for the podcast because the audience has grown. So that's one opportunity. But the biggest thing is like a sales rep, listen to this, take this back to manager and manager is like, you know, um, like this guy sounds good. Can we do a program with him? Can we do a training? Can we have him for a sales kickoff? Or the sales reps, the team leaders say, hey, we need somebody for one of our, our upcoming national speaking sales event. Who do you guys recommend? I listen to this guy's podcast. They put me in the pool in the pool. When they listen to the podcast, they're like, it sounds good because I focus on entertaining and educate after. And that allows for me to get the attention. So those are some opportunities. So it's that lead gen, it's an education standpoint, and it pushes them back to our website where they can get more education. So those are some of the ways that we utilize it and be in, in full transparency. Yeah. Now, now, was there ever a period, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. Was there ever a period that you thought about quitting? I don't think there was ever a period where I thought about quitting there was periods more so when i thought about what is the exit strategy and the conversation that i said to myself back then is the same what i say to myself right now is when it gets boring i'll stop doing it and it hasn't been boring yet boring. So. no it's well i mean i found it to be a lot i found it to be a lot of fun no it's just <laughs> yeah. a good i mean it's it's a it's a lot of fun well yeah all right well hey is there anything specific that you want that you're passionate about right now that you want to cover that i didn't ask you about Planning. <laughs> All right, let's talk about planning. <laughs> so self-interest here. So this is my sales planner. that I just launched it. And the reason why it's something I'm really excited about, I started this about three years ago, this project, because I wanted to find a planner that I could really like just get behind. And I messed up the white balance now. <laughs> oh. um, I, I wanted to find a planner that could really like, you know, help me as a sales professional. And some of the ones that are out there was just like, you know, stuff my dad was using back in the days, you know what I mean? Like a planner with just like the, every single hour of the day. And I was like, man, they got to be something else, but I couldn't find it. So I said, screw it. So I started drawing stuff out what I would like. I created it in Canva and then I started, you know, printing it off. And then I had a couple of my friends and clients play with it. Then one of our other clients saw it and she was like, Hey, I want that for my team. So she bought like one of our beta stuff, like, you know, about a year ago. And then it just started to evolve, you know, version. I don't know what version we got right now. But I had my designer, I was like, let's put this in like a real book format. And so she did that. So the way it works is most people are reactive planners. They, what I mean by reactive planners is like, you know, we do a checklist of a bunch of tasks that we are going to get done, or we just take a bunch of things and put it on that regular, you know, from eight to five o'clock, I'm just going to put things down, no rhyme or reason. These are some of the things I want to get done today. What we need to do as sales rep, and what I looked at was HubSpot had a stat that says only 40% of a sales rep time is actually spent selling. 40%. And I was like, dang, 
what is the other 60% doing? And that comes from things that are not necessarily conducive to a sales professional. So as we made our planner, we did that. We have a category component built in. So there, I feel there's five categories that every sales rep should have, and there shouldn't be any more. Maybe you can, if you're listening to this and there's more, tell me. But the first one is business development. Business development is everything that comes towards business development. That's like your main area. That's your bread and butter. That's your, that's your nine to five. That's the, the biggest component. Then you have current customers because some people are full cycle sales reps where you might have clients that you need to work with or getting referrals or whatnot. Then you have like administrative tasks, updating CRM, maybe creating a proposal and so forth. And that does, shouldn't be your main area. Then you might have other, other I bundle like training, one-on-ones, you know, things that happen internally in the organization, watching a podcast, getting some education, like that's other. And then the final area is personal. And personal is like going to the dentist today, doing a workout, listen, you know, buying a book, you know, whatever, going to get some lunch. Those are some of the, if, as I went through for the past several years, I started looking at those are the five main areas as a sales rep. So then now what we started to do was like, before you start reactive planning and say, I, I, I want to get these things done, or these are things I must get done. And people tell you, you need to get these things done. Put them all on in the sifter first, put them on the left-hand side of the page in the categories. And if you can't put something in one of those categories, then we have a problem. Or if your category is lopsided where you have more administrative tasks than business development tasks, you have a problem. So now those things get put on the calendar. So the only things that get actually on the calendar are things that have been filtered as the right task. And then we have KPIs built in that we utilize internally. It's a, a couple, it's a combination of activity-based as well as the outcome-based KPIs that so we kind of find a happy medium with there with that. And we help to track. So then at the end of the day, now the sales rep can look at a day and say, we had 15 things planned. These are 15 things that were highly you know, tied towards my sales success. And based on these categories, I got 14 of them done. That's not bad. I got a 95% today. Awesome. But if you're doing like your day and you see like, you know, you got so distracted and you only got eight out of those 16 things done, we got a problem. You got 50% of your most important task, things that you're supposed to focus on done. So we need to, we need, we need to fix, fix that and tweak it. Anyways, we're working on a software right now. So this is planner is going to go digital. So eventually you'll see that in the next, hopefully in the next year or so or sooner. But the point is that way we have full control. We utilize data. We can find out are we performing at our optimal level as a sales rep? And that's what my sales planner is built for on a three month system. So you could use it for three months and then buy a new one next three months. Now, where do you go if we want to get to the system? We go to the website? Yeah, you can go to the salesevangelist.com slash planner, or you can just go ahead and just go to Amazon and search Donald Kelly sales planner and you'll find it there as well. Okay, awesome. Well, Donald, this was this was great, man. I'm I'm looking forward. I'm gonna buy I'm gonna hop off and buy a couple yes. buy a yes. couple of the <laughs> the planners. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time. Until next time.